Welcome back to season two of Telegnosis and Tea. I'm your host, Tess. I'm definitely not an alien, and I'm so excited to be back. I took kind of a longer break than I meant to, but there's been a lot going on in the world, so just been a part of that, I guess. Today's story is one of my favorite love triangles, probably my favorite love triangle. That's Hetty, he says hi. But before I get into that, I just want to complain publicly that... Exactly, Hetty. I shouldn't be getting the advertisements that I am. I got an advertisement today from the Canada Surrogate something. I won't say the Canada Surrogate Company, but I know it's not that. But I got an advertisement today that was like from Canada Surrogacy and it was like, you don't have to be alone. You can have kids on your own. And I was like, one. I realize I'm looking at cross-stitch patterns on Pinterest, but how old do you think I am? And two, I guess you've just given up on those hinge advertisements, huh? You just assume I'm going to be alone? That's mean. Also, since when does surrogacy actually advertise? I don't understand that. But anyway, I just wanted to publicly complain about that because I felt really old getting that advertisement. But going back to the story that we have for today which I am very excited about, one of my favorite stories, and I have it written like a story because I'm so excited to tell it. But the tea that we're having with the story today, very beautifully named, I picked it just for the name, it is the Cheeky Cherub's Winter Fun Tea. And it's also in German, but I don't want to butcher the German, even though I'm learning German. I don't want to butcher it in case someone is listening and goes, oh no, that is definitely not how you pronounce that. Anyway... I feel like I'm trying to ride a bicycle when I've just been riding like a four-wheeler for like a month. It's weird getting back into podcasting again. I keep taking pauses as if like somebody's going to answer me, but you guys are just listening. You can't answer. Might as well just get into the story then. This is the story of Batman the Attic Boy. August 22nd, 1922 was an unusually hot day in L.A. More unusual was the noise that pierced the air of the otherwise quiet neighborhood just above Sunset Boulevard. Neighbors to 858 North Andrews Boulevard in L.A. heard gunshots and then screaming and promptly called the police. When the police arrived, they too could hear screaming and busted in the house of a Mr. Fred William Oysterike and Mrs. Walberga Oysterike though Walburga was better known as Dolly. Fred was on the ground, three gunshot wounds to his chest, and Dolly was locked in a closet. A closet that locked from the outside. Dolly cried out that a burglar who had come in to rob them stole her husband's watch, killed him, and locked her in the closet. Police were confused. They had to break into the house to find Dolly and began to look at her suspiciously, especially when she said that she and her husband never fought, but many neighbors would say otherwise. The robber also stole only a watch. The wealthy couple had valuables all over their mansion. It was odd that the intruder would steal just the watch that Fred was wearing. The police, though, couldn't figure out how Dolly could lock herself in the closet. There was no way that she could, and so the case went cold. But little did the police know, Dolly had a secret. Dolly was born in 1880 and was a German immigrant to the States. She grew up on a poor Midwestern farm until she was swept off her feet by Fred, a wealthy owner of an apron factory. 
The two married when Dolly was in her early 20s and lived a life of luxury together in Milwaukee, which seemed good from the outside, but inside was a different story. Fred drank a lot, and for Dolly, the LA Times said it best when they said, quote, her eyes and her appetites would bring a long line of men into her life and send one to his death. One hot autumn day, Dolly asked Fred to send a repairman from the factory to fix her sewing machine. Fred agreed, and soon a young boy, only age 17 at the time, by the name of Otto Sanhuber, was knocking on the ornate double doors of the Oyster Egg residence. 33-year-old Dolly met Otto at the door wearing nothing but a silk robe, stockings, and heavy perfume. She recognized him at once from the factory and, as LA Times put it best, quote, in the master bedroom, the dusty old singer machine remained untouched. The same could not be said for Mrs. Oysterike. This sparked a multi-decade sexual relationship. It started with the two meeting in hotel rooms, but then stretched to meeting at Dolly's home when Fred wasn't around. Neighbors began getting suspicious of the frequent comings and goings of Otto, even when Dolly simply said that Otto was her, quote, vagabond half-brother. When neighbors began to tell Fred that something fishy was afoot, Dolly knew something needed to be done. The answer was simple. Otto should cut off all communication with the outside world and live in Fred and Dolly's attic. Still teenaged Otto didn't mind cutting all human interaction except with Dolly, and promptly moved into the attic. He had no family to speak of, and as he told the LA Times, he had grown to love Dolly, quote, as a boy loved his mother, unquote. The attic was plain at best, furnished simply with a cot and a desk, but this was enough for Otto, who projected his inner dream world into this space, devouring piles of books that Dolly brought him back from the local library, and focusing on his top priority, which was reaching obsession, becoming a Pulp Fiction writer. At the time, Pulp Fiction magazines were all the rage. For only 10 cents, readers could indulge in curious tales of sex, murder, addiction, and madness. They were famous for cover art depicting half-dressed damsels awaiting a rescue hero. By 1918, Otto had been residing in the attic for five years undetected, only seeing Dolly, whom he was still having an intimate relationship, and managing to have short stories published under a pen name. Things were going well for Otto, but for Fred it was a different story. And what has to be assumed to be like a 90s sitcom sketch, he'd set down a cigar and when he came back it would be missing. He swore at night he would see a shadow creep by his bedroom door, and he started to tell Dolly he heard footsteps in the attic. Fred feared he was losing his grip on his sanity, and eventually he had had enough. Fred announced that they were moving to LA as he feared a phantom was haunting their Milwaukee mansion. Little did Fred know, this phantom would follow the couple to their LA home as well. Dolly was excited to move to LA and happily agreed, but only if the mansion they moved to had an attic, which apparently attics were a rarity in LA. Fred saw nothing strange about this request, and the couple found a beautiful mansion just above Sunset Boulevard in Lafayette Park Place. Otto, who is now 22, was sent by Dolly ahead of herself and Fred so he could get settled before the, com before the couple arrived. Once everyone was settled into the new home, things started to get worse for Fred and Dolly. Fred's drinking escalated, as did their arguments, becoming violent on occasion. It was on a hot August night in 1922 when a fight became particularly violent. August 22nd to be exact. 
Otto could hear a fight in the living room from his place in the attic. A fight so brutal he feared for his lover's life. So he rushed downstairs, brandishing two of Fred's twenty-five pistols. Fred didn't even have a chance to utter a word before Otto fired three devastating shots into his chest, killing him instantly. Otto and Dolly were panicked. They knew the neighbors could hear the gunshots, so they decided to rig the apartment to make it look like a botched burglary. Otto grabbed Fred's watch and shoved Dolly in the closet, locking her in and tossing the key aside. Once Otto was back in the safety of his attic, Dolly began screaming until the police arrived. Now you may think that this is where the story ends, but oh no, no no, we're just beginning. Dolly inherited millions from the death of her husband and decided to buy a new mansion. The new mansion came with a beautifully spacious attic where Otto continued to live despite the fact that Dolly's husband was dead and he really could have had the run of the house. Otto describes this time as being a sex slave for Dolly, imprisoned by his love for her. It wasn't long before Dolly began dating her lawyer, Mr. Herman Shapiro, but also making a series of quite incriminating mistakes. Dolly gave Herman a gift shortly into dating him, a stunning diamond watch. Herman recognized this watch at once. It was the same one that had been stolen during the robbery. Dolly was quick to say it hadn't actually been stolen and must have come off in the kerfuffle with the intruder, since she later found it under a couch cushion. Since that totally makes sense, Herman agreed not to call the police. Dolly's appetite was not fulfilled, though. As Otto spent long hours in his attic writing about fantasy worlds, and Herman spent long days in court, Dolly found another lover, businessman Roy H. Klum. In 1923, Dolly asked her third lover, Roy, to dispose of one of the guns that was used for her husband's murder in the La Brea Tar Pits. She claimed the gun looked like the one that was used to kill her husband, and if the police found it, they would surely accuse her of her husband's murder. Roy agreed and tossed the gun into the tar pits, but this left one more gun and murder weapon. What was Dolly to do? Dolly went to her neighbor and told them the very same thing that she had told Roy. She needed the gun disposed of because the police might find it and accuse her. So what did her neighbor do? He buried it in his backyard for her. Was the neighbor also her lover? Who knows? Nothing else is really known of the neighbor. It wasn't until Dolly and Roy had a particularly volatile fight and parted ways where Roy decided to march down to the police station and tell the police that Dolly had made him dispose of a twenty-five pistol. The police managed to find the gun just outside of the oozing tar pit. The police promptly arrested Dolly but were once again faced with a predicament. How did Dolly manage to lock herself in the closet? When the news hit the tabloids, her neighbor came forward as well, telling the police that Dolly had asked him to bury the other gun in his backyard. The police gathered both the guns, but both were too rusted to be able to determine anything from them, especially if they had been used in the murder. Eventually, the police were forced to release her from custody, having no more evidence beyond Roy disposing of a gun that was the same kind used in the murder. It was when Dolly was in custody, though, that she made another damning mistake. She asked Herman to bring groceries to her, quote, vagabond half-brother, who was still living in her attic. Herman, somehow also not questioning this, did what Dolly asked and brought groceries to Otto, knocking on the ceiling of the bedroom closet, which was their signal that Otto could come down from the attic. 
Otto was over the moon to see another human besides Dolly. He had not seen another since the night that he shot Fred. Let alone, has he had a discussion with one? So he regaled all the tales of his times with Dolly, specifically focusing on their sexual exploits. Herman was less than delighted with Otto and told him to scram. We don't know exactly what was said, but it was enough to make Otto move to Canada, so it was probably a little more than scram. Despite this, Herman was still hung up on Dolly and moved in with her, probably not in the attic. And they were together for another seven years before having a very sour breakup. Feeling spiteful, Herman went to the police about Otto, who had conveniently, but unfortunately for him, just moved back to L.A. that year from Canada. Otto was charged with the murder, and Dolly, who had already been charged with murder, so couldn't be again, was charged with conspiracy. On July 1st of 1930, Otto was found guilty of manslaughter. The tabloids had a heyday with this story, calling Otto Batman, the DC character didn't exist yet, the Garrett Ghost and Attic Man, and dubbing the case the Batman case. The trial ended, but being that it had been eight years, the statute of limitation had passed. It was seven years at the time, and all the charges were dropped. A juicy tidbit, though, during trial, it was revealed that Dolly's husband, quote, did not thrill her in the bedroom. In 1936, the indictment of conspiracy against Dolly was dropped after a hung jury. In the meantime, Dolly, who had been nicknamed the Naughty Vamp, found another lover named Ray Burt Henrik, whom she married and this time stayed with for 30 years. No news if he had to live in the attic. And passed away in 1961, still living in LA. That was a shorter story, I realize now. Not exactly a huge bang to get back into season two, but maybe I'll, I might make this a bonus episode. Now I'll keep it, I'll keep it as a season two opener. This is like a great story. This is one of my favorite stories. Next time will be longer. I just very much wanted to tell the story of Dolly and her love square. Thank you for listening. If you want to submit a listener story, please go to telegnosisandtea.com. There you can fill out a form that'll, and tell me your story. It could be true crime. It could be cryptid. It could be anything like that. I'm interested in all of it. And to see pictures from today's episode, please go onto our Instagram at telegnosisandtea or onto our Twitter. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at telegnosispod. So thank you for listening. I hope you have an amazing day, night, evening, whenever you're listening to this. And I will catch you guys next time. Bye!